Welcome back to Cheers PA Beer Talk. I am your host, Mike Lintel, and I am thrilled to welcome today's guest. We are joined today by John and Chris Trogner of Trogs Independent Brewing in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I mean, these guys were independent before independent was cool. And it's just always been at their ethos. I have to eat a little crow here. Uh, when I first moved here in 2015, I was convinced that you guys were getting ready to sell because the rebrand was on everything. The artwork was beautiful. It just, it seemed like, oh, here we go. Just another one of these. They get to a certain level and not at all. You're reinvesting in yourself. You're reinventing yourself. And it's been a joy to watch and drink along the way. So thank you both for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us on today. So the first question I always like to start out with is just what beer got you interested in craft beer? I feel like for you two specifically, it's going to be something, uh, a treasured memory, but uh, I don't want to uh, guess too much. I'll just uh, leave it up to you. Uh, Chris, if you want to get us started, what was the first beer that got you interested in craft? Mm, I, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, I guess, one beer, but I, I, I think it probably goes back to at least my college days when I was living in Colorado. They had a couple small breweries not too far from my apartment. And, and one beer in particular that stood out that I thought was really interesting was Tabernash Hefeweizen. That was a favorite at the time. It was a style of beer that certainly a lot of, a lot of brewers were, were not making, German Hefeweizen, and just had some wonderful characteristics that you didn't find in a lot of beers. I think that kind of opened the door for me. And then from there, I just kept trying more and more as many as I could. I had the luxury of living at that time right beside a, one of the largest liquor stores too, called Liquor Mart, which had just an enormous supply of, of craft beer from not just Colorado, but a lot across the West Coast. So I had the chance to dabble in a, a lot of different things. Fascinating. John, how about you? So I was in uh, college in Philadelphia and uh, also working um, downtown Philly. And uh, at the end of the day, I'd go down to the first floor of the high rise I was in and there was a small brew pub called Dock Street Brewing Company. Mm. So that, that's really where things started to click for me, you know, sitting down and seeing the different selection of beers. I didn't know what I was tasting. I didn't know what it was. I just saw different colors and could tell there were different flavors, but I didn't know what malt or hops or any of that really was. But I was just super intrigued in how they were taking basically similar ingredients, but creating completely different colors and beers. So that's where it, it all kind of like gets the flame started, let's say. Well, sure. And I feel like a lot, you know, I was not able to drink at the time, but from what I understand about that period, just having American versions of these beers were just like mind-blowingly different because all you could really find was stuff that was coming in overseas. There wasn't really the care put into transportation of, you know, they just got it here and they sold it. And the people that knew it would buy it. And that was the, like, all right, this is what we can get here. But putting the effort into these styles, but making them local, that had to have been somewhat of a, a driving force of when you were looking to start a brewery. Did you notice that that was going to be a competitive advantage from the beginning? You know, I think at that time, what you really saw were a lot of breweries that were trying to revive some styles that maybe had been forgotten about or just weren't as accessible. So, you know, Trogues, like many other, we were kind of on that path of, of doing more traditional styles, at least in the in the late 90s when we started. But I think it, it certainly has taken on a, a new life of its own. And uh, now we just look at styles as more kind of inspiration and then try to put our own twists on it. So it certainly has changed over the years. Yeah, you definitely do uh, twist up some classics. And I have to say the, uh, the Scratch series, what a great way to play around. The new lab seems like your dream situation like a homebrewer's dream what's it like having that kind of flexibility on a small scale to really tinker and play around the scales really allowed us to separate the art and science of brewing and discovery from having to make enough of it to literally sell over the bar to customers so 
once we disassociated the need to have to sell it, the creative juices just start flowing. So you can really take and break down the simple nature of ingredients and start to brew and understand exactly what each individual component adds to, you know, the, the ultimate end recipe. So it's just like breaking down. And I don't, I don't know if I want to geek out too far here because I can get down a rabbit hole pretty quickly, but everything from yeast fermentation temperatures to different mineral contents of water to how adding hops at different times during fermentations can really bring out a lot of different textures and flavors. And we weren't really able to do that on our our original scratch system because it, it just it made a lot of beer and we didn't like we don't like wasting beer so um, now at uh, a three barrel scale we can we can really break down and understand the components and and that's really ultimately what it is is we're not searching for a recipe per se on that system we're trying to learn and understand what the different steps and um, art and science of brewing how it all comes together but now you said something interesting in there that I saw Chris kind of perk up the disassociating of the sales part of it like at yeah. the end of the day you're in the business of selling beer and you have a a very large footprint for someone that considers themselves a family brewery. And it's been by stages and how you've built that out. What beer would you say is the strongest in your entire portfolio that really resonates across the entire footprint? Hmm. Well, at least from a, from a pure volume perspective, perpetual IPA for us is our strongest. But I will say, as you get further away from home, we're probably more well known for Nugget Nectar or Mad Elf. Yeah. Probably carries more weight, but that you know those don't quite match up when it comes to at least a sales volume standpoint. I was just going to toss in there. My favorite Troganator seems to have a universal like, no matter where we go, big multi complex beer. It's not our best seller by any means, but it definitely has a universal draw really everywhere that it's been. I would say, in my opinion, there's not a whole lot of competition for that beer on the shelves and people that are looking for that beer. It's excellent when you try it. So once you become aware of the Nader, it's over. If you're into that heavy malt driven, you just don't find those beers anymore. It's a delight. Um, It's also trouble. It depends on what you got going on, but I just love that beer because I never, you can't find anything like that out there. I want to go back to what you were saying about Perpetual though. As you've had this new Scratch series, I saw Perpetual Darkness. You're tinkering around with the flagship in terms of, you know, in store sales and you know, volume of liters sold. What have you found to make Perpetual better? Are you, st- are you gathering and gleaning things that improve your year-round beers through this process along the way of coming up with some of these one-offs? I mean, of course you learn new techniques and, and maybe a more efficient way to do things. But ultimately when it comes to you know honing in certain recipes, picking the right hops, for instance, for Perpetual is probably the most critical part. So it's not necessarily brewing on a small scale to you know fine-tune a, a technique or a process, it's ultimately going to the hop fields and smelling the hops for perpetual and making sure you're getting the right hops, citra, Mount Hood, Nugget, whatever it may be to match what we want that, that beer to be long-term. That to me is probably more critical for the established recipes than you know coming up with a new way to make it better. Which Once, once we get you know, the, the technique of brewing down for a recipe, we try not to play around with that too much. Like if it's set now for new recipes, often when you're, when you're playing around with different a process within a brew house, it can pretty radically change your, your perception flavor wise and aroma wise. So you have to be careful not to go and mess up a beer that's, you know, already set recipe wise. Absolutely. Now, I want to go back in time a little bit. Um, is there anything from the early days that you guys miss uh, from the, the place on Paxton Street? Is, uh, is there anything about that hungry startup community, all of those things? Is there any of those things that you miss or 
were they just building blocks and you appreciate those times, but like that was pretty good. Yeah. And you know, we, we talk about this all the time and, and really, I don't, I don't like to look backwards too much. And every, every step we kind of, we take three steps forward, stop, look around and assess and make sure we're on the right path. Um, so that continuous improvement mindset always builds on what you've done before, whether you did it well or you didn't do it well. Sometimes you learn you know more from your mistakes than your achievements. Um, and a- along the way, you know, Chris and I have stayed uber in tuned with the, the brewing um, steps and ingredients. And, and, and as we grow and, and improve, we're able to do that more and more. So coming out of having to literally do like back in the, the days or the good old days, you know, I'd have to brew beer, I'd have to filter, I'd have to clean tanks and run a bottling line, sometimes all at the same time mm-hmm. with one or two people helping. You know, now we have just a phenomenal group of people helping to pay attention to every little minute step along the way. And they're just, they're probably more in tuned because they're handling just individual steps than we were trying to do all of it at once. So I think we've just developed um, through teamwork and through our coworkers and continuous improvement on process, a way better platform for us to create and and do what we love to do. I don't really look back and be like, oh man, I wish I could do all those things again. Things definitely run a lot smoother today than what they what they did in the early days. I think John probably in particular spent most of his time fixing things than running things. So, but it it is kind of fun to you know when we're in Harrisburg kind of, to kind of drive by the the original location and just kind of stare for a little while, remember uh, <laughs> everything that happened inside. I just did that this weekend. I sat in the parking lot for a few minutes. I was like, wow, the sign we built is still up, or you know the the floors I could see through the window. The floors we poured concrete floors are still there. So yeah, I mean, of course you you appreciate where we came from, but I don't I don't like to live in the past. No, totally, and I understand that because from there you built a community around your brewery. Um, there was a lot of community support as you continued to grow outward, moving to Hershey. What, in your opinion, was the most important thing in terms of the building of the community around Troves? I mean, ultimately, at least from a brewing sense, I think it's the transparency. So building the brewery where, well, for the first 15 years we were around, Chris and I would give tours every Saturday. And inevitably, you'd have home brewers or people thinking of breweries, starting a brewery, coming on those tours. And we we share everything. We, We literally will talk about pretty much everything we do with the understanding of brewers in general aren't copiers, they're they're innovators. So hearing how we do things, they can kind of take that in and we're paying it forward, let's say, to the brewing community. So to this still to this day, we're we're constantly sharing with brewers our experiences and our wins and our losses, and they can kind of figure out if they can want to learn from that or not. But ultimately from a community establishment standpoint, I think it's transparency, not just in brewing, but in really everything we do. What about you, Chris? I think that's very fruitful. And we we wanted to build a place that had a lot of the things that we enjoy. And we certainly enjoy going around and trying to learn from others, um, not just in the brewing community, but just any kind of food manufacturing and and wanted to really kind of open it up so people could move around our brewery a little bit. So you're not just seated at a table. I and mean, that kind of led to the splinter cellar and the self-guided tour path. So what, what we're hoping is when people come in, they can sample a few beers and, and, and food from the snack bar, but then are, are mobile and they're not just in one spot. So they can see different parts of the operation. And certainly, if, you know, where we can ever give back to the places where our, our fans and coworkers live, you know, we certainly try to do that. If we can buy local ingredients, you know, that's that's a big thing that we're trying to 
to do more of, which means different things for different beers. But, you know, Pennsylvania has a lot of great agriculture and we're starting to see some some real strides when it comes to, to barley in Pennsylvania. And of course, we already have great fruit growers for, for cherries that we buy for, for some of our beers and of course, local honey too. So I think that's a full circle if we can kind of give back in those areas makes uh, just good business sense to us. And and it's fun. It, it, it's fun to know that uh, you can make a difference and that, you know, you're writing a check to a local grower and not necessarily a national grower. Absolutely. Um, the reason I ask is because it seems like the entire guest experience when you visit your brew pub, if you want to call it that, but I mean, it's so much more. There's just layers upon layers that just all the experiences are so carefully created, but they seem effortless. And your team always knows the right thing to say. They're always very forthcoming with information. It's not like you have to ask a ton of questions to get any kind of information where it's like they are giving you tasting notes and they're consistent tasting notes with what you guys are putting out there. It just it seems like a lot goes into training as well as the entire guest experience. Where does that just come from? Is it something that's always been paramount to, for both of you to see the guests have that kind of experience? I was going to say it's definitely ingrained in us. I think that kind of goes back to, you know, we, we try to put put our guest shoes on when we built the place. But I also think it's, you know, uh, kudos to the people that work work here at the brewery, too. I think we've attracted a lot of people that are super passionate about beer and food. And I think that also comes off in, in what you're describing. So, you know, I think that's it's kind of the team culture that we have here that that want to work hard and, and, and be here at the brewery and tasting room. We've always pushed to understand why, like why things taste the way they do, you know, how the different ingredients get put together and, and why we're aiming at different recipes to have a ultimate flavor or aroma experience. And uh, I think Chris nailed it when he said it's it's really the people that have come to, to help us, you know, serve our customers. And they, they extend that that question of why all the time internally. And then we're very, like I said earlier, transparent. So they can't wait to share it with people. Like we explore new things all the time. We discover things constantly, but it's most fun to share what we find along the way. And I think that's, it definitely shows. And it's great to hear that you had that experience as well, because that's what we're shooting for is having, you know, that sharing side of, of flavor and taste. Oh yeah. It was, I was there like a week ago and the individual at the very front to seat me at the table was giving me tasting notes on the crispy Keller pills. And just like, <laughs> just, I was just in awe. I was like, I'm just, I'm back in a brewery inside and I'm walking around and things are opening back up. And it's all happening so fast. And now we're talking about cantaloupe and this is so great. And uh, it was just <laughs> such a wonderful experience uh, for a Wednesday afternoon. Chris, you mentioned something about local agriculture and I love what you guys do with Master of Pumpkins. Pumpkin beer gets a bad rap because of what it's turned into. But through all of this, you've stayed consistent. You only make a batch the size that whatever the crop yields, you're not going to overwork it to try to get a little bit extra to squeeze a few extra dollars. Like Master of Pumpkins is a agricultural beer. It's a beautiful fall. Just I look forward to it each year and I appreciate how you stayed consistent with that. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we're also pretty fortunate to have a great orchard right down the road with stripes that will kind of plant, uh, for the most part, what, what the quantities that we're looking for. And we're we're a little bit late to the table. I think our approach to it is a little bit different from others where we have to wait for harvest. So that means our beer comes out, you know, in, in within the fall season, not kind of pre-fall. So, oh, heaven help um, us. We're not drinking pumpkin beers in August. So, <laughs> right. 
Right. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, that uh, orchard we've, you know, John's side of the family is kind of known for kind of pre-trogues or for a long time. So I think we kind of had a pre- pre-established relationship there and uh, they're interested in trying to grow what we need. And it really has just kind of flourished from there. You know, e- each year we do kind of inch up quantity a little bit, but you know, the, the goal is really not quantity. I mean, it's a very difficult beer for us to make. It does involve our kitchen because we roast all the pumpkins before we brew them. So it does make a very long weekend for, for quite a few. But yeah, certainly it's kind of our, our twist on on a pumpkin beer, which we think is, you know, quite a bit different than what you'll see out in the market. Yeah, but still, I feel like it's very true to what a pumpkin beer, like a beer that leads with pumpkin, you know, like it's the malt is supporting the pumpkin and the roasted flavor, like all of it has a place like nothing feels disjointed or overly sweet or just like forced it's just it's a it's balanced and that seems to be something that carries through a lot of what you guys do there's not much of the over the top let's see how hoppy we can make something or the haziest of haze or whatever the trend is you seem to acknowledge trends but you don't try to jump out there and own a trend or reestablish a trend is that your philosophy john or is there something else to that I don't know if it's a philosophy or if we're just stubborn. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, I mean, we didn't do an IPA early on, an India pale ale. We decided to do an imperial pale ale. Um, to, for whatever reason, we, we we take a different path. I mean, ultimately, there's so many different recipes to do, and there's there's so many different combinations of flavor and ingredients. It's hard to kind of hone in on what we, we want to do. And we just really like trying new things. So that constant need for exploration, but also understanding why, like, why things taste the way they do often doesn't take us down the path of a trend, but every once in a while, like pumpkin beer is a great example where, I mean, they've been around for a long time and, and I love pumpkins and, you know, that pumpkin flavors nice and sweet and you know, roasting it intensifies that sweetness. So bringing that in with a malt base kind of sets the the canvas, let's say, and then you, you add in layers after that. So the layers of the yeast we chose has kind of a spiciness to it. So rather than just dumping tons of spice in, which we do have some spices in as well, you know, we're layering in these, these brewing techniques through a, a very difficult yeast actually to work with, um, but it brings in a really nice uh, black pepper and clove and uh, slight banana flavor. So that that's uh, layers of flavor through technique and process and not necessarily just, you know, jumping in on trends and dumping lots and lots of stuff in. Again, we like to understand the why and, and have some fun with ingredients and, and never have too much ego to really try anything. The only thing I, I personally don't like are smoked beers. So probably won't see Trogues do one anytime soon. But other than that, we're, like, we, we're into trying pretty much anything but we, we like to understand the why the why the things taste the way they do along the way i'll probably end up being our next scratch beer by the way this week. <laughs> john's i don't want to brew this roush beer i uh, had one from off color once and it tasted like bacon popcorn it was weird but really good in a weird way i've had some good ones and some not great ones so i could see the uh the lack of interest there also, smoke, not great for the palate. So, uh, you know, seems disjointed for what you're trying to go for. Yeah, I love flavor. smoked foods. So having smoked foods with a regular beer that has an interesting flavor to me is, is perfect. But, you know, Ed Chris is right. Every time I say we won't do something, that's usually the next thing we do. So, <laughs> Oh, man. I have to say the uh, the food at the snack bar is insane and you have such a talented group in that kitchen where does your interest in food and ingredients come from is that something that you've always had is just growing up here how did you come so connected with ingredients i think i I think it started with just growing up we kind of you know our family in general has always been interested in food and 
not only, you know, where it comes from, but then also trying to make healthy options and choices. So, you know, just traveling as, as a kid, we were always going to the local pretzel shop, the local creamery, local bakery. And I think from there, it just kind of blossomed. And, you know, it's something that John and I do on the side as a hobby, too. We certainly cook a lot in our own homes and share those ideas. And, you know, I think that's kind of flourished into our culinary team here. We have a team similar like we do with our scratch beer system that helps run the snack bar that is creating new ideas every week. Yeah, I will say they're professional. They're professionals doing it. Like we're <laughs> brewers that have a cooking habit. We're definitely not um, chefs by any means. <laughs> so we're, we're very fortunate to have a team of very creative people that are in tune again with uh, playing around to, to make food in this case that matches the beer. Well, that has to be a lot of fun because you get to take flavors and things that you like to do and then share them with people that can just do all kinds of incredible things with it and really take it to that next level. So it's rewarding to have that collaborative uh, approach to everything that you're doing. And it seems to really come through just the tasting notes that you guys are putting out there with your beers and just the food pairings. You're not just stopping short of like, try sweet or salty. Like I saw grilled octopus, I think on Sunshine Pilsner as a tasting uh, is a complimentary tasting option. This, who else is telling you, hey, go get some octopus, grill it, and then you're going to love it with this beer. You're right, 100%, but it's just like no one is willing to take it to that level of providing that detailed and wide variety of foods. And I guess that's where it comes from is you're just experiencing expansive knowledge and appreciation of all things food. I have to ask a question about Dead Reckoning because I love that beer. I see it come out every year. Can we ever see pale ale getting that same like slotted back in there? I miss that beer. I, you guys took it away right when I got here. It's such a good beer. And I know that it's not a great mover I, and it's just, it's not trend wise sexy, but man, what a good beer. You guys should be really proud of that one. Your thoughts. <laughs> that, was the, that was the first beer we brewed at Trogues and, and we've brought it back uh, once or twice uh, in small batches, maybe not in, in a can or a bottle, but we definitely had it on draft. So yeah, we love visiting our old, old friends recipe wise and Nut Brown makes a, a pass every once in a while. And mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Dead Reckoning and these are all sorts of ones uh, that, that come back. So I could see Paleo coming back one of these one of these times. Definitely. Yeah, it's just, you know, for someone that didn't grow up around here or have access to like the early years, it's it's kind of like seeing the dead now. You're not really seeing the Grateful Dead, but like there's, it's this like new version, but it's just a way to bring in some of the old fans mm-hmm. in with some new fans and just share the classics. And oh, I love what you guys are doing with your classic series, as well as your uh, your yearly releases. I know the Nimble Giant is creeping up shortly upon us. And, you know, you mentioned Nugget Nectar earlier. It's uh, something I always look forward to in January. But those yearly releases, you seem to have been early in on that in terms of, you know, before the barrel age, bourbon county stout and all that stuff and people lining up, you were releasing beers once a year. And is that a part of the projects that you just get to enjoy something that, you know, that you don't have to make that you can be more laborious with one time, like a one shot at it versus having to make that kind of beer with that much effort year round would just be mind numbing. I mean, it actually, there's two things there. When we talk about Mad Elf, it, it's timed for the holidays. So we wanted a beer that was just special just for the holidays. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it doesn't make sense to have Mad Elf year round. You know, that would be defeating at that point. So we mm-hmm. just have that to celebrate the, the holidays. And then Nugget Nectar being the other once a year, you know, the way that that beer was born, we, we were we were literally getting in fresh hops from the harvest that were just pelletized and brought into the brewery. And when you open up those boxes, they're, they're pungent. They're just <laughs> explosive in aroma. We were just like, wow, what, what can we do to celebrate this? Like, how can we wrap that up into a recipe? And this is before Giant you know, hoppy beers were around. Uh, so Nugget Nugget was really born from that concept. And, and we were like, it kind of has to go with that. Like if we did Nugget year round, you wouldn't have that opening of the hop box and smelling it for the, that year's harvest. And it doesn't make sense. So that's our brewer brain talking where, you know, ingredient driven. And we're like, this is the time to do it. And there's no reason to have these year round. Of course, you can do hoppy beers year round. People do it all the time. We just didn't feel like Nugget, Nugget should be that way. It's also kind of a birthday celebration for me. Like early on, it came out for my around my birthday, and we're like, yeah, just for that. So I don't know. We just we never did eat nugget year round because it did, didn't make sense to our to our brewer brain. Well, I, I use it as a birthday celebration. My nephew was born <laughs> right around that time, so for me, I mean, he was born in Hershey. We went over there after the birth and kind of celebrated, and it just come out. And I was like, this will always be your birthday beer, and we will enjoy it without you for the next twenty one years. <laughs> but one day. We'll show it to you. Oh, man. Guys, Perfect. I really appreciate it. Uh, your time has been just tremendous. I've really enjoyed getting to uh, dive in a little deeper on uh, what you got going on there. Your brewery experience wins awards every year, not just like local best of this or that. I mean, like literally national awards. And you should be very proud of that. I know how hard it is to run just a team as large as you have and to, like to excel at the level that you're at. So cheers. We appreciate all that Thank you're you. doing. Thank you for being leaders in this state and, uh, you know, keep reaching out to with uh, John. Your travels have been very enjoyable. If you don't already follow John on Instagram, you should because he is hitting up all kinds of new breweries that I haven't even heard of and doing just fun things every week. So check out John on his social media. Trogues Beer has some excellent content as well. Find your way to the the tap room as soon as you can and uh, enjoy your time. John, Chris, thank you guys so much. I have to go and uh, promote Sunshine Pilsner now. So uh, please be kind to me later. All right. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. So this month's uh, beer that we're highlighting is one that I was waiting for summer to come around because it's the perfect beer for when the weather gets warm. It's Sunshine Pilsner. It's year round, but it literally shines this time of year. Uh, It's not a whole lot going on in there in terms of ingredient, which means it's that much better because you can't hide behind any kind of tricks. It's just size hops with a little bit of Herzbrucker and Pilsner malt. It's phenomenal. Uh, You can find it in six packs or in limited amounts while the summer 15 packs if you want to try a wider variety of Trogues beer. Check those out wherever you get your beer. We want to thank Wise Markets for supporting us and making this podcast happen. Thanks again to John and Chris from Trogues. Uh, We'll see you next time here on Cheers PA Beer Talk.